Welcome back to the Crow's Nest. My name is Jackson Shank, alongside my co-hosts Mike Federico and Justin Valenzuela for episode 42, where we're going to be breaking down the NFL for its fourth week. We got our winners and losers once again, and it's going to be it's going to be a good time. I got I got both the guys with me in the studio, so that's always a plus. And uh, I think we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna tap in with Mike first because uh, Big Boy went to Indy this weekend, so. Uh, How's it feel to be 0-4? Yeah, so I've been to four Colts games in person, and I am 0-4 watching them live. And it's funny because my dad is a Cowboys fan, and I'm 2-0 watching them live in person. So it's almost like, am I rooting for the right team? However, I will stick with my Indianapolis Colts as I absolutely love the city of Indianapolis. It's awesome. I'm actually lucky enough to be going there this basketball season, I'm traveling there to watch the Butler game. I'm not watch the. I'm going to watch the Butler game. I'll also be calling it. So it's cool to be going back to Indianapolis. It was a great time. You know, besides obviously the game itself, the stadium is awesome. My seats were crazy. We were at the 50 yard line, eight rows up. Went to two great steak dinners. Went to St. Elmo Steakhouse and then Prime 47. And then for lunch. At the Colts game, I had a prime rib sandwich. So the amount of steak I ate was just, I can't eat steak for another month. But it was it was a lot of fun. And uh, on the last night we were there, we were out to eat, and I was able to get a selfie with Colts defensive end Quiddy Pay. And he was super cool to talk with after just, you know, obviously a devastating game. So he was super cool to be able to take a picture with me and just talk to him. So it was a good trip. I'm very fortunate enough to go. Uh, not a bad birthday gift, you ask me. I just wish, you know, the Colts <laughs> were able to win a game. Yeah, that's actually really, really cool. And as someone who, like, I've been going to Jets games for as long as I can remember. It's like, or my earliest memories are at Jets Stadium. So, like, to me, that's just second nature. But I could imagine going to, like, a completely different state supporting a team that you watch through a TV screen every year and you don't get to actually see them in person. That's got to be really cool. Does Lucas Oil Stadium have, like, things to do around the stadium or is it just straight up highway stadium and that's it so it's not like metlife where it's just mm-hmm. highway stadium. yeah because that's exactly what i'm thinking. like for me it's just the experience of going to a jets game is right just in getting the off the exit getting into the stadium tailgating and that's it there's no like bars or community to walk oh, around the, like, the whole city of indianapolis is cult football that's awesome regardless win or loss like we were after the game we were walking Everything, first of all, is in walking distance, which is awesome. You can walk from the hotel to the stadium. Um, they also have the field house where the Pacers play. So that city during playoff time for both the Colts and the Pacers is got to be a phenomenal place to be in. And just all the bars, all the restaurants, it's everything Colts. And it's so weird. I mean, it makes sense, obviously, because they're in Indianapolis. But it's so weird seeing that because you see all the commercials and it's like Bud Light. Giants, Jets, or Buffalo Wild Wings, Giants, Jets. Like we went to a Buffalo Wild Wings, and it was Colts themed. And I'm like, oh, this is a yeah, this is a change. Cool. It's, it's almost like a culture shock because you know, you, like you said, you go in the Jets pretty much religiously every game, and and for me, it's once in a while, you know, once a year. So it's really cool to see. It was just, it was a great time, and you know, around the stadium, the stadium itself is just beautiful. You know, made yeah. of brick. The Peyton Manning statue out front is awesome it is so well done and everything just about the city itself is just i love indianapolis yeah that's awesome because and especially because it's just one team so it can really become the embodiment of the city 
like for the Jets, it's like we share a stadium. Everything's gray because you can't you can't do green or blue because that's not fair to the other teams. So just all gray, plain, basic. It's it's boring. It's probably like thirty second out of thirty second in NFL stadiums. It really is not anything cool. And I can see it like the windows and all that stuff at that stadium. It looks really really cool. One thing that I'll say just because you know I've always wanted to visit Lucas Oil for one reason. Uh, that's where they host the combine. I mean, when you think about the beginning of a player's journey, you're going into a stadium where players, you know, they they start. This is where this is where they go in front of coaches, and they you know they put forth their best effort in order to get drafted. And being able to essentially go to you know everyone's first home in the NFL, I think, would be a really cool experience. And Mike, I think it's I think it's awesome that you got to go to Indy this weekend and experience that. The only thing I will say on uh, on the eating portion of this, we gotta we gotta bring you out to Kansas, my guy, because it would just be red meat for like a week. Like you you think I'm that's totally you cool think that's that. a lot? You think you think prime rib and and steak and uh, what you had a prime rib sandwich, two steakhouses? So I got yeah. a New York strip. Mm-hmm. And then I got a bone and filet, and then a prime rib sandwich. Oh, we need to get you a KC strip. Speaking of first experiences, let's talk about our winners and losers for week four. I'm going to start things off with the Pittsburgh Steelers. They're going to be my winners for this week, and not particularly. Actually, you know what? I'll give it to the team, but uh, the fans, because a first timer is now their quarterback. That's right. Kenny Pickett is now the starting quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And yes, while the Steelers came out with a loss in this game, I think there's actually a good chance that if Kenny would have started the entire game, there's a chance that they win this game. I mean, it came down to a reviewed play fumble at the goal line with nine seconds left in order to be the difference in this game. So I want to break down what kind of happened, because he started in the second half, and he threw three picks, okay? You look at the stat line, Kenny Pickett didn't look great. My point is, is you'll see that he threw three picks, and here's what I'm going to say on that. One, he's a rookie, okay? Two, Chase Claypool in the offseason came out and labeled himself Mapletron as the Canadian version of Megatron, a top three receiver in the league, whatever, and he had a 50-50 ball, which he is literally built for. He's a massive receiver that Pittsburgh schemes around throwing dimes on the sideline and having him going up and getting it, right? He tips that ball in the air and it gets picked. He's in double coverage, right? But it was a one-on-one connect, uh, contested catch. The guy who picked it off was the other guy in coverage, okay? Number two, he threw a ball to Pat Fryermuth, and it was also a catchable ball that he jumped and tried to catch, and it hit him in the hands and tipped up in the air, and then he got picked off. His third pick was on a Hail Mary, so that's already out the window. So I really think you could get away. You could be extreme and say that he had no picks this game. I would say that one of the balls that he threw should have ended up picked. I think it's more likely that the Friermuth one gets picked off than the Claypool one. Claypool normally makes those catches, and I know what you're going to say normally, right? But big takeaways for Steelers fans. The offense looked a lot more productive with Kenny Pickett on the field, right? They were moving down the field. He was extending the play with his legs, stuff like that. And number two, someone who probably practices with him a lot on the practice squad or with second team, George Pickens, 
the connection was developed really nicely throughout the game. Pickens was a greater factor in the second half, and you could see that rookie-to-rookie connection coming along nicely. So the one real thing that I have to say about that whole thing is, for starters, yes, he is a rookie, a 24-year-old rookie who played five years at Pitt. You know, you shouldn't be making... He is the absolutely the most pro-ready quarterback in this draft class. That's why he was the only one picked in the first round. Older than Zach Wilson on the field, and this is Zach Wilson's second year. Probably older than almost any second- and third-year quarterback in the league right now. He shouldn't be making these rookie mistakes if he's this old and labeled this pro-ready. And I'm going to have to cut you off there because... College to NFL is a completely different jump, and you've heard so many guys talk about that jump and how it's a completely different game because mm-hmm. you could be studying for your biology exam and then you have to go face Derrick Henry, rush for 250 yards in college, and you just there's nothing you can do about it. You're facing in college, regardless if he's 24 years old, you're going to face a kid who's a true freshman who's 18 or 19 years old, in the NFL, you're facing men. So that's the only yeah. thing I would say. No, no, I totally agree. I think rookie quarterbacks need time. And I'm not. I'm certainly not holding him accountable. But the reality is he's on a shorter leash with these rookie mistakes. Rookie moment thrown into action wasn't expected to play. Nothing wrong with that. But if this trend continues, you know, it's not good. And I saw a rookie quarterback throw a ball to a 6'4 receiver guarded by a 5'9 DB, underthrew it in double coverage. Probably not the smartest decision. I understand wanting your guy to make a play. It's your first career throw, though. You know you want to make a big splash. Cool. Secondly, under pressure, facing a huge, huge pressure off the edge from the Jets. Throws it, again, into double coverage. Pat Fryermuth on the sideline. Sauce Gardner knocks the ball up and out of Fryermuth's hands. It was not a drop. It was a pass breakup and into the uh, nearest defender's hands. So another play probably shouldn't have thrown it, but, you know, he's a young guy. It's whatever. But... I'm going to take the reins. Speaking of a quarterback, a young quarterback here who, you know, certainly definitely is not making the wrong decisions. My winner for this week is going to be none other than Jackson's favorite, Kansas City Chiefs. I'm going to just say it. They look unstoppable. They completely dismantled the Bucks, the number one defense in the NFL. And Mahomes looks like a man on a mission. The, you know, the Chiefs started 3-3 three and three last year. And everyone was like, whoa, the Chiefs are dead. Well, what's going on with the Chiefs? You know? bounce back, make it to the AFC Championship, blow a huge lead to the Bengals, and then this offseason they lose Tyree Kill, Tyron Matthew, all of these guys, and all of a sudden we're doubting the Kansas City Chiefs. When's the last time we doubted the Kansas City Chiefs and they look bad? Last year. They ended up getting like the second-best record in the AFC and going to the AFC Championship. You can't doubt Pat Mahomes, and he certainly is looking to prove everyone wrong. Through four weeks, uh, the Chiefs have the best offense in the NFL. EPA expected points added. Second best. They're actually behind no, the no, no, Lions. No, no, no. I'm going. No, that's in total. Uh, oh, total, total scoring. Total, gotcha. total yards and all that stuff. I'm talking about expected points added. They scored over 40 points twice already. They averaged 32.5 per game so far. And this is a year in which the NFL is at a 10-year low in terms of points. No Tyree Kill. No problem. It's crazy Pat, that people thought that Tyreek Hill. Yeah, was yeah. It's Pat, Pat Mahomes made Tyreek Hill, not the other way around. Pat Mahomes has 1,106 yards thrown, 11 touchdowns, two interceptions. After Lamar's game last Sunday, I think Mahomes is the MVP favorite. And they're doing all of this. I mentioned this before when we were highlighting the Chiefs. Top 10 defense in the NFL, number nine to be exact. They completely shut down the Bucks' run game. They held them to three yards rushing on Sunday. That's incredibly impressive the Chiefs look really scary this year I'm very happy with what you said I mean I I sat back and just kind of enjoyed it but all in all seriousness 
Uh, this was one of the best games the Chiefs have played in a long time. The offense came out with that mentality. I, I think, and I think you can see it when an offense is firing on all cylinders, and there's no way of stopping them, and they're always going to get points. You know that it's not going to be fun for the other team, and that's what I saw Sunday night with. You know, you describe him as young. He's 27 years young. He's he's in his... Hey, Tom Brady's his, like 46 still kicking. No, hey, so. right, but we're comparing him to Kenny Pickett. I guess it's only a three-year difference. Three years. That's true, that's true. But anyway, uh, yes, newly, newly 27, Pat Mahomes is playing incredibly well. And I think in a game where he was coming back into a stadium where he lost horrifically, you saw the opposite of what you saw in that Super Bowl. The offensive line in this game was absolutely incredible. I've never seen us rush for so many yards. I was so proud to see us rush for so many yards because this team is so dangerous when they can do both. You throw those two high two high safeties in that cover two shell and you pray that it do, that nobody burns you and then all of a sudden you invite teams to run. We haven't been able to run. And now you see Isaiah Pacheco getting carries. You see Clyde Edwards-Alaire getting carries. And you see the offense churning. By the way, I did not know that we were a top 10 defense. I thought that was your take. But to hear that, 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 that we are rated a top 10 defense is amazing. Because one of the beauties of losing Tyreek Hill was being able to pad this defense. Being able to pay more guys on the defensive side like Carlos Dunlap, like Justin Reed, and being able to get the giant rookie haul that we had, we're doing this without our first-round pick, like our first pick that we traded up for in Trent McDuffie because Jalen Watson, our seventh-rounder, is stepping up. Yes, he got obliterated by Mike Evans last night. I don't expect him to be able to go one-on-one with him. And when when Brady is trailing, I expect him to do his best to catch up. Which is why I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pounce on the Chiefs defense for giving up 31 points. But to it's all you know, garbage. That was all garbage right. time. Too, it was all garbage. Honest. But to the credit, uh, like to give credit to the Bucks, okay, and take a little bit away from the defense because I I still take it with a grain of salt. When Dude. you're down by 21 points the entire game, or for most of it, three and a half quarters to be exact, you don't really run the ball. But to be able to take that component of the game out entirely was incredible. And like you said, they looked unstoppable last night. They played really well. Yeah, one thing is about Mahomes. I mean, Justin, you mentioned that he was, you know, he's the front runner for MVP. However, I think the front runner for MVP is actually Jalen Hurts. And that is going to be my winner for this week is actually going to be the whole NFC East. And... That is the best division right now in football, which is crazy because just last year or even the past couple years, the NFC East has been awful. I mean, you look, the Eagles are 4-0. The Cowboys are 3-1. The Giants are 3-1. Now, granted... There is an imposter among that there group, is a poster, my friend. The Commanders are 1-3. However, oh, I'm not even talking about the Commanders. The Giants are such a Mickey Mouse 3-1 football team. We can address this in like five weeks, and they will have probably won one game in the next five. I'm glad you said that because I was actually going to start off with the top dogs, but I'll go to the Giants right now. Go for it. Saquon is fully back. He is the heart of that team, heart of the offense. He is the league leader in rushing yards. He only has two touchdowns. However, 
they, they really didn't need to score that many touchdowns because the defense has they held their opponents, the Bears, yeah. but they've held all their opponents to 20 points or less. So their defense is stepping up. Daniel Jones hasn't really had a Daniel Jones moment yet, and that is a great sign for the Giants because he's got 631 pass yards, three pass touchdowns, 193 rush yards with two rush touchdowns. Nothing crazy, but the big thing is the turnovers. He's had three turnovers so, so far, with two, two of them being interceptions, one of them being a fumble. Brian Dable has successfully changed the culture in New York, despite them not playing the toughest opponents and them barely winning because the Titans kicker missed in yeah, a field they played, goal. They played Matt Rule in the Carolina Panthers. Easy. Chicago Bears, come on, dude. Challenge. Uh, impossible to pass. Throw a touchdown. Bears can't pass. Like, it, they can't score, dude. The Bears are horrible. The Panthers are horrible. The Titans beat the Titans. The New York Giants did not beat the Tennessee Titans. The Tennessee Titans beat the Tennessee Titans. And then you play Cooper Rush on Monday Night Football and you lose. It's like, and then look at their next stretch. They play the Packers, the Ravens, the Jaguars, Geno Smith and the Seahawks, the Texans, the Lions, the Cowboys, the Commanders, the Eagles, the Commanders, the Vikings, the Colts, the Eagles. Not a lot of winnable games left on the schedule. That is why they're my week four winner. Yes. No, and I not know, my season I know, winner. I know, I know, I know. So right just, now they are a so good. Frustrated they're a Giants. good. They're a happy three and one for Giants fans. Yes. No. Honestly, I'm so happy for them. But, like, we got to chill with the Giants talk. We got to chill with the Giants talk. You know, it's it's an early season. Well, that's why, the way through. that's why I didn't want to start off with the Giants. <laughs> I actually had them on the bottom of my list in the NFC East. At the top dogs are the Eagles, no doubt about it. The undefeated, the only undefeated team in the league. Jalen Hurts is looking like the MVP front runner. He's fifth in passing yards. He's third in rush touchdowns in the league, and he's first in yards per attempt. They're the third highest scoring team in the league, and their offensive weapons that they got during the offseason are just AJ Brown is a dog. And I like the comment they made about all the wide receivers, about all them being Batman and none of them being Robin, because they're all just good. Miles Sanders had Miles Sanders had a breakout game, and their defense is stepping up. Additions with James Bradbury, he has two interceptions. Darius Stuck. Slay has two interceptions. The Eagles just look so sound on yeah, all three got, sides and of the, football. Dude, their secondary might be the best secondary in, in all of the NFL. James Bradbury, stud. Darius Slay, probably my favorite corner in the NFL outside of Sauce Gardner, obviously. <laughs> CJ Gardner Johnson at safety. Like, they got Jordan Davis on the defensive line. Just so many ducks. Fletcher Cox. Oh, my God. You could go on and on about the Eagles defense. It's really, like, probably the most dangerous defense in the NFL, I'd have to say. James Bradbury was, I think we talked about it when we talked about free agency. He was one of the big guys. I There were, there were plenty of guys where I DM'd Justin on Instagram, and I was like, hey, man. Like if the Chiefs get this guy, watch out because he's like he's yeah. he'll be crazy on the defense. That list side. also included guys like AJ Brown, DK no, no, Metcalf, okay, Pipeline well, yeah, 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 right. But you see how well AJ Brown's doing, and they you know they sign him to a what twenty five million dollar a year deal. Yeah, well, they can less than Tyreek Steele, yeah, but anyway, blah, 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 blah. Ram- ramifications. My point is, James Bradbury is an absolute dog, and for what they signed him for, he's being an absolute lockdown corner. Yeah, and and to finish off my winner. For the NFC East, the Cowboys, they're 3-0 and with backup Cooper Rush. Now, 
There's been a rumor that Dak Prescott might return next week. Which I saw that he can't. Uh, Jerry Jones actually said it, so I didn't see. Like it's confirmed, he can't grip a football right now. Which so. is crazy to me that he's actually rushing to come back just because he sees the success of Cooper Rush. Ceedee Lamb is back to being a wide receiver one with Dak this season. He's had two catches and 29 yards. With Cooper Rush, he's had 21 catches, 259 yards, and two touchdowns. And hey. Welcome back, Michael Gallup, with a touchdown. Let's the go. Cowboys are looking very good offensively. I mean, with Zeke and Tony Pollard in the backfield, that's a great one-two punch. Might be one of the best one-two punches in the league. I The only one I can really think of is A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones. Maybe uh, Clyde Edward-Hilaire and Isaiah Pacheco. Oh, yeah. Come on. you got to name Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt in there. Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt's pretty well, good. That's why I'm saying might be good. one of the best, yeah. if not. They're definitely no, 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 top five. And it's crazy because I really do believe Tony Pollard is a better running back than Zeke. I right do. Now. I agree with that 100%. Yeah. I just want to thank you for throwing the Chiefs guys in there. That was hilarious. I, j- I think Clyde Edward-Hilaire is having a great year. They're getting there. They're getting there. And, and you know, the last point before we move on to our losers of the week is the Cowboys defense, Micah Parsons. I mean, I, I feel like I say this every podcast when I talk about the, the Cowboys. Micah Parsons is a dog. Demarcus Lawrence is playing well. Trayvon Diggs, he had a really good game. You're not going to hey, see in the stat sheet, but he had two pass breakups. Lie, I was a huge Trayvon Diggs hater. I didn't get the hype of a guy who could get 11 interceptions and let over 1,000 yards. But I will say this. Trayvon Diggs has genuinely impressed me so far this year. I am very satisfied. And as a Cowboys fan, not that I'm actually, but if I were a Cowboys fan, like, I would be super excited to see, not even just like the fact that like he's getting better. Every year he's made a huge jump. Last year it was the interceptions. This year it's the coverage. Like his rookie year, he was genuinely horrible. Like he was a bottom five starter, starting corner in the league, and then he jumped up and made all those interceptions. And now he's mastering his craft, lowering the yards, actually playing the football to break it up instead of just going for a pick. Great stuff I'm seeing from Trayvon Diggs. All right, we're going to transition into some not-so-great stuff. We got our losers for the week, and I got to start with the Super Bowl champs. It's the LA Rams, and this is a team that's been really disappointing. Um, they they just look very one-dimensional, right? Uh, and that dimension is Cooper Cup. The offensive line looks horrific. Uh, they missed their left tackle, Andrew Whitworth, tremendously. They allowed seven sacks uh, this past Monday night against the 49ers and they had five different 49ers with a sack it's one thing if like Nick Bosa goes crazy as a 3-4 sack game this was five different guys who made it past the line and then to add on top of that you know where the hell is Allen Robinson you're paying this guy 15 million dollars a year as a wide receiver 30 million dollars guaranteed which is a year of Tyreek Hill's salary and he's got essentially all f- through four games, he's got one solid game total, and that's nine receptions, 95 yards, and a TD. What used to be a juggernaut in the NFC is really fading, and I don't even know if they're going to win the division this year unless they turn things around drastically. Yeah, it's not looking good. And I remember we talked about the Rams in early April, and I said this is a team that got significantly worse. And then over the summer and early into the school year, I went on to you know pick them to win the NFC West and you know, make the playoffs and all this stuff, because I really didn't think the nucleus is there. You got Sean McVay, you got Cooper Cup, you got Matthew Stafford, you got Aaron Donald, Bobby Wagner. Like, I I figured there's enough star power there to at least win football games. They're only 2-2. and 
you know, if they win over the next five games, you know, two or three more games, they'll stay in the hunt. I'm, I'm not writing them out. I'm not writing them off yet. But it's really, I agree, it's not looking good. This is not promising whatsoever. And it really, Matthew Stafford just isn't looking good. It's really that simple. I think the problem right now is Matthew Stafford. I don't know if it's a hangover, if it's the arthritis in the elbow or whatever it is he's got going on there. It starts and it ends with him. If he's not working well, the Rams are not going to perform well. It's that simple. He's got to get it together. I think we need to pump up brakes just a little bit. Yeah. This is a team that did win the Super Bowl. They did go on a run in the playoffs last year. It's only week four. So many things can happen from now until the season is over. So many things can change in the standings. Matthew Stafford is definitely a concerning point. It almost looks like that elbow is still affecting him, even though people say he's back 100%, he's back 100%. This guy didn't practice until August, late August. He didn't yeah. practice. And I think, sorry to cut you off, one quote that sticks out to me is he said, he feels better right now, like before the season started, than he did at this point last year. And nobody knew about the arthritis in the elbow. So, like, why is he saying that now? Like, this was not even a thing to think about at all last year. So that leads me to believe he's completely lying through his teeth. Yeah, and, you know, you mentioned that Cooper Cup is one-dimensional with their offense. Their run game, that was the thing last year, is that their run game was really good. I mean, Cam, Cam Akers went down. But it, it's still questionable this year. They're, they have no run game at all. However, their, their offensive line is struggling. They have no run game. Matthew Stafford is... He just he looks so questionable that he doesn't look like he knows what he's doing out there. And Cooper Cup obviously is a very safe bet. It's working. It's just not working well enough. Yeah, and speaking of a team that's working but not working well enough, my loser for this week's gonna be the Baltimore Ravens. Two and two this year, it's like come on. They realistically this team should and could have been four and oh, choking yet another game, a two score lead to be that. Twenty to three they were up on the Bills. And they ended up losing. And then two weeks before that, they were up 35-14 to 14 to the Miami Dolphins. And you end up letting Tua Tungavailoa throw for six touchdowns. First time, I was like, okay, not a big deal. Second time, we got to talk about this. They show glimpses of what they can be, but they just can't close it out. And if you can't close it out, it's virtually nothing. 2-2 two and two is a lot different than 4-0. and oh. Like... And it, it kind of makes me question, I love Lamar Jackson. I think Lamar Jackson is a great quarterback, one of the most dynamic and versatile weapons in the entire National Football League. But does Lamar lack that clutch gene that separates the good QBs from the great ones? I don't know if it's the lack of the clutch gene. I think it's the laziness because you see a team that gets ahead and then doesn't know how to play ahead. You know... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw it back to Sunday Night Football. The Chiefs came out and put up a 28 spot on the on the Buffalo Bills, sorry, not on the Buffalo Bills, on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the first half. That didn't stop them from adding another 13 points in the second half. The Ravens have, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but in these games where they've lost, they've put all their points up in the first half. Like, they scored, yeah. you know, 35 against Miami, and 20 against Buffalo, and then in the second half, either, you know, the coaches for the Bills and the Dolphins are absolutely insane at adjusting, or they've just let off the gas with this idea that they're going to be okay. And that's not when you have quarterbacks 
or offenses that contain the likes of Josh Allen, Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddell, Stephon Diggs. You cannot let that happen. And for me, this is a concerning sign. It's good to have it now rather than late in the season, but they need to get this turned around if they want to make a deep playoff run because that's where it's going to matter the most. Yeah, and it's really concerning too is that their offensive weapons, you know, not that there's so many offensive weapons that the Ravens have. Obviously, Lamar is their weapon. He's their X factor. Mark Andrews, two catches for 15 yards. Their lead receiver is Devin Duvernay, and he had 51 yards. There's not that many weapons on this Ravens offense. And, you know, they got J.K. Dobbins back, and he only rushed for 41 yards. Lamar Jackson was still the leading rusher. So with the offensive weapons that the Ravens got, they just they're not used properly. With a banged up Bills defense, it's really concerning that their offensive weapons on are just not being used. And another team that's just not using their offensive weapons is none other than the Indianapolis Colts. They're going to be my loser for the week. They are 1-2 and 1. Their offensive line is in absolute shambles right now absolute shambles Jonathan Taylor's hurt with possibly a high ankle sprain which is never a good sign he got twisted up and then wound up fumbling which I don't want to say lost the game because there were so many points in that game where we lost the game however it was a it was a vital moment and gave the Titans the ball where we could have scored and tied up the game the only bright side that I have is the defense in a way because they've done it twice in back-to-back games. They have let their opponents score all their po- points in the first half, and in the second half, they have they let they put up a zero. Shaq Leonard returns. Stadium is crazy. Everyone's going height. Only plays 30% of the snaps. Leaves with a concussion. That was a little bit of a kick in the groin, you know? And, you know, going there, seeing my favorite player, seeing him being introduced out of the tunnel, see how hyped he is. It got me hyped. And just him leaving the game, it was just, it ruined the mood. And there's just so many things to question about this team. Frank Reich, his play calling is so questionable. He's not aggressive anymore like we're used to seeing. Our general manager, Chris Ballard, refuses to spend money. Yeah, we signed Stefan Gilmore. Yeah, we're paying Quentin Nelson. But just, it's not showing. The amount of money that's in that offensive line, they're just not putting the product on the field. And what's on the field... I don't know whether it's Frank Reich or Matt Ryan. They're just not using the playmakers. Michael Pittman, when you throw the ball to him, good things happen. He is your best guy. He is your wide receiver one. Naeem Hines, he touched the ball three times in the first half. This is supposed to be a dynamic speed guy who you're going to put in the slot. We have yet to see that happen. Mo Ali Cox, he had a great game last week, but the weeks before that, he's really been quiet. Jelani Woods is a 6'7", 260-pound Freak, and I'm sure Jackson, you saw that guy terrorize your defense. They don't use him. Alec Pierce, a rookie out of Cincinnati, second round pick, he had a very nice back shoulder catch for 30 yards that led to a touch, uh, Moali Cox touchdown. They don't use him. It's so, and, and it, I don't want to put the blame fully on Matt Ryan. He has eight turnovers, but he's fourth in the league in pass yards. So it's it's a weird, it's a weird balance of okay, this guy is awful turning the ball over every time he gets touched, but He's fourth in the league in passing yards. Well, this is a this is a team and a division as a whole that 
we really expected the Colts to come out and just dominate. And it it really does, like, Justin and I are genuinely confused when it comes to this because we don't know why the Colts aren't producing. They have what we thought was a top 5-0 line, which normally wins you a lot of games. They have arguably the best all-around back in football. They have one of the most spread-out rosters on defenses when it comes to Shaq Leonard, Stephon Gilmore, Kenny Moore, guys like that. They have the, they still have the DeForest Buckner, who used to be a dog on the 49ers. Who only played 30% of the snaps. Yeah, so it sounds like it could be a big coaching issue. Yep. Right? And, you know, that tends to be the blame when you have a massive roster full of great talent and it doesn't succeed. Yeah, I think, you know, we've... Both of you guys mentioned him. I def- I know for a fact I've mentioned him before. I really do think, unfortunately, I, I've liked Frank Reich for a long time and Chris Ballard. I love that tandem. I just think it's time. You know, everything runs its course. They built a great roster. But you know what? Some coaches and GMs are good at building things but not finishing it. You know what I'm saying? Like, a lot of the times you need a coach to build up a roster or a GM to build up a roster, and then you need to bring in a guy who knows how to win. It's pretty damn evident that Chris Ballard and Frank Reich are not going to take this team far. You know what I mean? It's time. The roster, the core, the nucleus of the team is amazing. And it's time to bring in a a young quarterback, get a guy on a rookie contract, new coach, new GM, clean house, new everything with the talent that you have, and, you know, kind of see what they can do and how far they can take this team. I just think it's time for Frank Reich to go. I'm so glad you mentioned that it's time for Frank Reich to go and that it's time for a young quarterback because the nucleus, as you mentioned, is a good, they have a good, strong core. I mean, Jonathan Taylor is, I know he's not doing well, but that's partially because of the play calling and the offensive line. He's a top five running back in this league. Michael Pittman is a top 12, top 10, I would argue, wide receiver in the league. That's, I would argue. Everything's worth an argument. If he gets the same production as other guys, I would say he is in the top 10 in the league. He had 1,000 yards with Carson Wentz as his quarterback. Fair enough. However, I'm kind of, I know it's week four and it's a lot of overreactions and and, they're struggling, but I'm kind of done with the whole Frank Reich being the quarterback whisperer because every quarterback that he has brought in has really not been successful. And they're like veterans. So, like, what you're, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. You know what I'm saying? Philip Rivers, that experiment, I wouldn't say totally failed. The Carson Wentz experiment totally failed. Yeah. Philip Rivers took this team to the AFC uh, wildcard round, and if it wasn't for his arm strength, who knows, that Hail Mary maybe wound up in the end zone and not the 35-yard line. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, you know, I feel like it's the same thing with Matt Ryan. I feel like it's a combination of the Philip Rivers and the Carson Wentz experiment, and I'm just done with bringing in guys who are – in their late 30s, about to retire in a year or two, and just starting this process over again. I mean, Naeem Hines came out with a quote after the game saying that it's hard for all of us to glue together and for us to get in sync, and we're going to have growing pains. But he's like, I've had five quarterbacks in the last five years. I've had to learn five different guys who are going to be handing me the ball. That's really tough. And when a backup running back is saying that, can you imagine what the starters are saying? Yeah, definitely. Tua Tungavailoa. Got an in got injured in week four during a, during the Thursday night game, and this is something that I I think we needed to bring attention to that we don't talk about enough, and that's the you know the player safety side of things when it comes to the NFL. Tua got clearly shaken up 
in the Bills game prior on Sunday. That was an amazing game back and forth between both teams. And, you know, eventually the Dolphins squeaked it out at home. Right. But in the midst of that, Tua went out of the game with what looked to be a concussion as he got slammed to the ground, got up, wobbled, and then walked out to the tent and then came back into the game later and eventually won the game. Right. But then he plays a short week, gets hit again and goes into full body paralysis. Right. He literally like can't move as he was knocked out. That is not what you want to see from the, you know, as a guy, a guy who is looking to make a statement, someone who has a lot of hype around him. The NFL doesn't want that kind of guy to get severely injured. And to see the type of injury that happened and the willingness for the NFL to let players back in, even though, yes, they have a concussion protocol and everything, this needs to be cleaned up. And I mean, this needs to be cleaned up ASAP. You cannot have players going back into games when their head is not right. You know, we see the effects of CTE throughout players' careers, Antonio Brown, stuff like that, where you see how it affects players in the long run. I don't care if the Super Bowl is on the line and Pat Mahomes is diagnosed with a concussion, okay? As much as I want Pat Mahomes to go back into the game, it needs to be said that the protection of the players comes first. Yeah, we saw that. I mean, that's an example... To me, the Dolphins really are just a classless POS organization, in my opinion. I've said it before. The owner is a complete scumbag. The team is grimy, disgusting, dirty. I mean, they don't even have their own first-round pick for being such a grimy organization. An example of a class-act organization, Kansas City Chiefs. I remember playoffs. Chiefs-Browns. Pat Mahomes clearly injured in the head. Get him out of here. Bring in the backup. We don't care. They needed to get a first down to win that game. They said, nope, Pat Mahomes' safety comes first. And they threw in, what, Chad Henne? Anything is possible, yeah. maybe. Like, and, and you know what? He ended up getting the first down. Chiefs win the game. Cool. But you know what? They prioritized his safety over advancing in the goddamn playoffs. That shows class from an organization. And the Dolphins, in a random Week 3 game, that, you know, it, it doesn't mean that much compared to his safety, he might never play football again. And week four. Yeah. And week four, too. This was two weeks. And, you know, to touch on your point, Justin, this wasn't just a drive that the Chiefs had Chad Henney in. Pat Mahomes went down at the end of the first half. Chad Henney came in with three-fourths of the second half left to play. So I think that just goes to show, you know, you were talking about a class act. My point is protect the players, Okay. This is a league where people are making potentially $50 million a year, right? And Or people who are guaranteed over $200 million, over $250 million a year. You need to protect your players. It even happened in the Sunday night game. Cameron Brake got injured and came back into the game after being out for like two quarters. Protect your players, NFL, and clean this up because... No matter, like, a player is going to be trained to do one thing. Get me in the game, get me in the game, get me in the game. I want to win. You have to look at them and say your mental health is not, your mental and physical health is not going to be able to handle this, and we are sidelining you. And I just want to say, I don't think that, you know, to to classify the Dolphins as, you know, classless, if you listen to all the interviews that Mike McDaniel did, 
regarding the Tua injury, it really was out of his control. So it wasn't like the team itself was like, well, we don't care if you're hurt, we're putting you back in the game. It was the doctor who, I want to say, did get fired. So it wasn't necessarily the Dolphins as an organization are classless. It's more, it's the doctor who said, okay, Tua, you're you're good to go. Which, yeah. yes, everybody had their doubts that after the game against the Bills, he, Tua, there's no way he can play, especially on a Thursday night game. That's a that's a quick turnaround. Four days. Yeah. Four days. And so you're telling me that now that he got a concussion against Cincinnati, that's two concussions from Sunday to Thursday? That is... I feel like his he's like genuinely going to be damaged for the rest of his life. That is life-threatening. And I saw a couple reports where doctors, CTE doctors, are telling Tua to retire because yeah. of... One more. What, what happens if he gets another concussion? That is, it's a very scary situation. Yeah, and then, like, look at AB now. Like, well, his uh, brain is mush, dude. He, There's no way he's okay. He's on there. a bit of a different level than Tua is, but it, it's it's still no. It's it's a very scary situation. I wouldn't put the blame completely on the Dolphins. I, I would like, say they're the doctor who got yeah, fired. It's easy to blame the person who actually cleared him, but the Correct. reality is the Dolphins have a history of doing. Classless, right. and, and the suspicious things. Like, well, well, as of recently, yes. yeah. And I think, th- I think the like once again, I'm going to reiterate it as much as you can. The NFL, regardless of the team that it happened with, they need to step in and have final authority. This needs to be a Roger Goodell thing. He needs to answer the call and say, "Hey, this is final. We are going to protect our players." Period. But with that being said, that is the end of this episode. So if you guys made it to the end, thank you so, so very much. We all appreciate it. Make sure to stay tuned for further episodes. Check us out on our social media, our Instagram, Twitter, and make sure to answer the polls and in the description of this video. But for now, that is all. So for Justin Valenzuela and Mike Federico, my name is Jackson Shank. We will see you all next time. Peace.